This is episode 29 of Dear Analyst, and in this episode, I'm going to be discussing dynamic array functions and formulas that spill into your range in Excel. Before I get into the episode, I wanted to read a quick PSA about COVID-19 and the current crisis. It's the beginning of April now, and we're heavily into uh, the quarantine um, here, at least in New York City, and I wanted to read a quick PSA from our good friends at Burberry who gave us this PSA, gave me this PSA. So COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up two to 14 days after exposure. If you're experiencing these symptoms and have come in contact with or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, Please call a hotline and or consult a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Thank you. Okay, so this episode is a little more into the uh, new feature in Excel that, well, relatively new. It came out in 2018, late 2018. And it, I think it was announced in September 2018. And the dynamic array is a very interesting and very big change from how formulas are, are usually created in Excel. So I'm going to go back and talk about, this actually ties into the last episode about filling a formula down. I'm going to talk to everyone here about how you typically would write a formula and then copy that to other cells in your file. So let's say you have two numbers in columns A and column B, and in column C, you want to add the, two num add the two numbers up. The formula would just be A1 plus B1, and then enter, and then you have the sum of the two numbers. Now, if you want to have that formula applied to all the cells below that cell that has a formula, you can drag and drop the bottom right-hand handle of the cell down. You can double-click in the right-hand handle of the cell, or, as I discussed in the last episode, you can select all the empty cells below the cell that has the value, but that has the formula, um, including the cell that has the formula, and then press Control D to fill the formula down. And then you have in the subsequent cells B A B A two plus B two, A three plus B three, so on and so forth. So that is how traditionally most people have come to learn Excel. And that's how I learned, and it's the most precise, in my opinion, the most precise way you can define formulas because you can define a formula for an individual cell, and especially especially for a financial model or any kind of data model, you typically are creating one-off formulas around your worksheet, um, and you're not always filling formulas down. Um, but I think given... The, the more use cases of big data and data coming from databases, Microsoft saw a need to create this function. This is a new feature that allows you to calculate formulas across a range of cells very quickly that also output a range of cells very quickly. So that's the most basic concept of writing formula. Now, if you skip a bunch of levels and get into array entered formulas. This is a concept that I've taught in classes um, that, were, that are more inter intermediate or advanced use of Excel. 
And the key thing here is with an array entered formula, you essentially are telling Excel, I have a, a set of inputs that is a range of cells, an array of cells, and the output is also going to be a range of cells or an array of cells. And this goes against everything that we've, we usually think about when it comes to writing a formula in Excel because typically when you write a formula, you expect the, the result to be one value in one cell. So if you take the sum formula and you sum A1 to A10, you expect the value, the result, to be one cell, one value. Now there are certain formulas that require you to array enter a formula in. So for instance, one formula I teach in my classes is using the frequency formula, finding out how many times uh, a given value falls within a, a bucket or a range. I guess you can say it. And so the tricky thing about this frequency formula is that there's no really easy way in Excel to tell you that this has to be a formula if you want it to perform the way you want it to perform, that you need to array enter it into a cell. So the key here is, and just to walk you through how this works um, at a high level, if you want to, let's say you have your buckets in cells C1 to C10. Uh, these are buckets from like 1 to 10, 10 to 20, to 20 to 30, and you want to find how many times your entire data set falls within those buckets. So maybe in a population of a uh, thousand students, five fall in the bucket of 1 to 10, 25 fall in the bucket of 10 to 20, so on and so forth. So the process I would say is pretty cumbersome in terms of getting this to work is you have to first select this, all the cells that contain the range where you want to output the result of the frequency formula. So unlike regular formulas, you can't just have your cursor in one cell because it's not going because you want to output the, the value to multiple cells. So you select, let's say, 10 empty cells that you want to output the result of the frequency formula. At this point, you have to have your first cell. Uh, the first cell in this range has to be empty. You then press F2 on the PC or control U on the Mac. So you're now in edit formula mode in the first cell of this empty range of cells. But the key thing here is that you still have all your empty cells selected. You're just in edit formula mode now. Then you start writing the frequency formula. You just write frequency and then you put in the inputs. The inputs are the values of your data range. Then you put in the buckets, which are the one to 10, 10 to 20, 20, 30, close parentheses. And then here's when you, while you're still in edit, edit formula mode, you press control, shift, and enter, return. And then that would output the frequencies of all the, your values into those, that range of cells that you had selected. So it's kind of like taking, you're basically using this formula, this array entered formula technique to output the results of your formula into multiple cells all at the same time, instead of doing, writing the formula in one cell and then dragging and dropping down. If you actually try to write the formula in one cell for the frequency formula in one cell and then drag and drop it down, it actually will return completely um, relevant results because it's not the way that the frequency formula works. So that's how you currently write array entered formulas. And I think for someone who is new to Excel and new to writing these formulas, knowing how to write that formula in those steps I just described is pretty difficult.
and you're also wondering why do I have to do it this way? Uh, how do I know which formulas need to do this technique of array of control shift enter? Who knows? So I think as a response to that, they introduced in 2018 the dynamic arrays, which the first thing is that they introduced seven new functions that allow you to do these array entered formulas without having to actually use the control shift enter technique. So you have things like filter, rand array, sequence, single, sort, sort by, and unique. I, I think these are all brand new functions and there are functions that you traditionally would have to basically array enter in using a combination of other functions that are not as simple as these seven. So for instance, if you want to find the unique values in data set, you typically will do remove duplicates. That's actually what I do is just do remove, dupli remove duplicates. But now with unique formula, you can actually just quickly input all the cells that you want to find that may have dupl duplicate values. And then the unique, unique function is a dynamic array function that will just return the result, the unique values from the data set. Now notice that with a unique function, it wouldn't make sense for the unique function to return one cell with one value because you want to find all the unique values from your like list of a thousand values. So you can see how these functions, just by the nature of what they do, they have to return a set of values, in this case, a unique set of values from your entire data set. So the one key thing about the uh, dynamic arrays is that you're basically entering the formula, you hit enter, and then instead of the result spitting out in one cell, all the empty rows, all the empty cells below that cell where you're entering the formula will also fill up with values or quote unquote spill into the data range. Uh, I'm gonna get into a little more of an esoteric topic and this is called implicit intersection. What implicit intersection is, is Excel has a formula engine that kind of behind the scenes calculates a value for you if you are, if the formula you provide to Excel has multiple cells selected. So for instance, if you write the formula, if you have numbers in rows one through five, and you're in cell, these numbers are in cells A1 to A5. In cell B3, an empty cell, you write A1 colon A5 plus one. What do you think will happen? So the first, I think the first reaction is, oh, maybe it will take like all the values in A1 and A5, add them together, and then add one to that. Well, that's incorrect because we didn't write the sum formula. All we're writing is equals a1 colon a5 plus one. So since you're in cell B3, what inter implicit intersection does is it says, okay, you're in row three of the spreadsheet. Instead of taking all the values a1, a5, I'm just gonna take cell, the value in a3, because you're on row three, and add the number one to that value. Uh, there's some other nuances about implicit intersection, um, but the long story short is that this is what happened. When people write formulas that are taking into account multiple cells, they don't realize that Excel sometimes does behind the scene work to get you what you need. Now, what happens when you 
introduce the array enter formula trick. Well, that is when you can actually output a range of cells, even though the input is even though the input is is also a range of cells too. Uh, so what array what control shift enter the array enter formulas array formula and array enter formulas do is that they disable implicit intersection so that you can manipulate multiple values of inputs as the range whereas when implicit intersection is turned on which is like what's happening 99% of the time in excel excel finds the row where you're operating on and takes that as the reference for the uh, for the formula now there are some also I mean there's a lot of use cases for implicit intersection um, you can get into Excel tables where um, you can implicit intersection also it does not happen um, you're basically like referencing columns of data which is more similar to like SQL and Tableau um, but we're not going to get I'm not going to get too deep into into that now the reason why I bring up um, implicit intersection is because, well, first of all, like even knowing the fact that array-entered formulas disable implicit intersection is not that um, discoverable to the average Excel user. Um, I didn't even really know what implicit intersection was until I read about it. But like, it's one of those things where having used Excel so much, I kind of see like, oh, when I try to apply a formula that I think is taking in multiple cells. Like Excel kind of figures out a way to find the answer, and like I just kind of noticed that pattern, and that pattern is there. And little did I know that that pattern actually has a name called implicit intersection. Um, one issue with the spill formula is that you get this spill error, hashtag spill. And if you've ever come across an error in Excel, they're sometimes very hard to decipher. You have things like hashtag value, hashtag ref, hashtag name. So this is just another introduction, another another formula error that um, new Excel users have to become aware of. And what happens is if you have a spill error means that you are trying to spill a dynamic um, function into a bunch of cells, but there's a hard-coded value somewhere in that spill range. And you have to delete that hard-coded value in order to have the spill properly, in order to have that dynamic array function properly spill down into the rest of the cells. So just some new patterns to get used to. I mean, I'm I'm still thinking that this introduces some complexity for the average Excel user, but I think Microsoft took a really intentional stance on saying we need to make the ability, give people the ability to create these, give new Excel users, Excel users the ability to create these formulas more quickly and more uh, less prone to human error. And I think this is a good step in the right direction, but I think if you don't intentionally try to learn what these dynamic functions do, then you could just be wondering. What I'm trying to say is I think if you don't know what array-entered formulas are and you're applying these formulas right from the get-go, you may, you may not understand the underlying, underlying reason why these new dynamic array functions work because you don't have the background history of like knowing how implicit intersection works and how array entered formulas work. Um, just a kind of a thought about the feature in my opinion. Um, then you get into even, so this is, I, so I think 
my guess is that these seven dynamic array functions were meant to help new users of Excel get used to the platform. Um, but even for advanced Excel users, there's a lot of interesting nuances about how you can make dynamic arrays work for you. So for instance, one of the things is the, the at symbol or the at operator. So since you don't need the you don't need to use control shift enter to array to array enter a formula into Excel. Um, there are some some times where you still want to uh, let's see you want to try to describe this. There are times when you still want implicit intersection to work, meaning there are still times when you want multiple you want the the result of the formula to return one value. Now the problem is that with this new feature, most formulas will have will have the dynamic array uh, feature and then it will spill into the multiple values below where that dynamic array function is used. And now for more advanced users, you have the at operator. And by using the at operator in the formula, it will it will enable implicit intersection again for your dynamic array function and it disables all the kind of array features of the dynamic function. So this is basically saying if you have a bunch of formulas that you are comfortable that you know how they work before dynamic arrays come into place, once dynamic arrays turn on in your Excel file, those formulas may not work as intended as they originally were written for most of Excel's history. And so what you need to do is input this new at symbol to tell Excel, I don't want to take advantage or don't want to use these dynamic array function functionality. I want my form fun formulas to operate the way they always have. Um, so just some more complexity to add the at symbol. Um, so I think for the advanced users, this could lead to some issues because it could be very confusing to know when you want a formula to return one value to a cell and when you want a formula to return multiple values to a cell. Typically speaking, in a model, you want one value to return in a cell, but I haven't seen this in a model in the wild yet, but like, I wonder if like a model that expects one cell to be in a value, whether or not that, whether or not that dynamic function will return multiple values and spill down once that new feature is turned on on that on that file. And just looking at the blog post where this feature was announced, um, here's some language from the, the blog post, which is, I think, also difficult for someone to comprehend because if you have a big Excel file where there's a bunch of functions, um, having kind of vague language like this, I think, makes it hard to really figure out what functions are being affected by this new change. So they say, Generally speaking, functions that return multi-cell ranges or arrays will be prefixed with at symbol if they were authored in an older version of Excel. So I think this kind of dispels the fears that I just described because it looks like by default, if you were on an old version of Excel and you have a formula that's meant to return a multi-cell range or an array, that will have an at symbol by default because you probably didn't write that formula originally with the intention of having multiple cell ranges returned.
The blog post then goes on to say, can you safely remove the at symbol? It depends on what the part of the for it depends on what the part of the formula to the right of the at symbol returns. If it returns a single value, the most common case, there will be no change by removing the at symbol. If it returns a range or array, removing the at will cause it to spill to the neighboring cells. And that's I think the biggest issue is you might see all these at symbols in your formulas. Is it safe to remove that at symbol in your formula? And the answer that Microsoft gives is that it depends. It all depends on whether or not that original, the original intention of that formula was supposed to return a single value or if it was supposed to return multiple values. And then if you accidentally remove that at symbol, you're basically going to get the spill functionality that the dynamic array functions will provide. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of like um, my take on the dynamic array functions. I haven't really played around with it that much, to be honest. I'm still kind of, I think there's a part of me that says like, oh, this is like just the old way of, I'm still used to doing the old way of doing things. I don't like the new ways, um, but maybe if, if I experiment with the feature more, I'll get more used to it. I might be using it more often. I do think using things like um, sort and unique will be really interesting. Even the filter function um, in Coda where I work, the filter function is probably the most used function that I've come across in terms of getting a, a filter data set. Um, but yeah, this is one of those things. It's such a breaking change to Excel, in my opinion. And I think it's just a matter of the old guard kind of getting used to um, the new ways of doing things. And I think this is, again, a shift in the way how of how Excel can become more approachable to new users who are probably being confronted with big data sets, with uh, needing ways to quickly sort and aggregate data. And they may not be wanting to use a pivot table or something to get this data sorted and filtered. Which brings me to my last point about the broader picture of this dynamic array function. I would venture to say that this brings Excel more closer to SQL because now you're basically applying formulas and functions to entire uh, the results of the formulas and functions are being applied to the entire column um, versus having to return one single value from the formula. And if you are a user of pivot tables, I would argue that you're already kind of doing this with a lot of your analysis. So in pivot tables, you have calculated fields where you can take, if you have a column with prop, if you have a column with sales and you have a problem column with cost, you can quickly create a call calculated field that is profit, which is simply sales minus costs. And then that profit calculated field gets applied to all rows in your pivot table, no matter how you slice and dice your data. Same thing also applies in Tableau. You have calculated fields there. Uh, however, I think in Tableau, the user interface is not as like simple as Excel, where you in Excel, you can just literally just click on the, the column names to create your calculated field. Whereas I think in Tableau, you actually have to write out the formula, which again, feels more like SQL. Because in SQL, you're basically creating these user-defined co columns from scratch and naming them as you please. Um, and that's why I think this functionality in Excel brings, uh, the, f brings the functionality of SQL closer to Excel, because I think perhaps the use case of Excel is being 
kind of transition to feel more like SQL in terms of the types of work that's being done on the platform, um, which is not surprising to me because I feel like the more you learn Excel and the more you learn about data, the more you realize how data has to be in a format um, that's meant for processing in a database and knowing how to write formulas, writing calculated fields um, that apply to the entire data set is important. And I think these dynamic array functions kind of are a step in that direction. So um, I do I definitely think it provides more data literacy for people who are probably just used to using Excel or a spreadsheet for just putting in a list of data and not knowing about how to properly structure it and how formulas work on that spreadsheet. Um, so it's a step in the right direction. Um, overall, I think dynamic array functions are a way to help new people who want to create formulas quickly and some, and also a way for power users who want to quickly sort their list and find unique data sets, find unique values, because that's the first thing that I thought about when seeing the new dynamic array functions. The two that stood out to me the most were just using sort and unique because I'm constantly doing remove, uh, sorry, I'm constantly doing remove duplicate values and then sorting a list manually by using like keyboard shortcuts instead of having a formula that does that for me. Uh, so just a different way of thinking about how to do those really common Excel techniques. All right, so I'm gonna mention, um, that kind of concludes the Excel portion of the episode. And I wanna mention two things in the second half of the episode about other things I've come across. Typically I talk about other podcast episodes I've come across, um, but today I wanna to talk about two things. One is a podcast, one is a conference, as a matter of fact. So there was, I'm actually still getting through all the, um, the sessions here, but there was a, a online conference a few weeks ago. Uh, obviously, I'm guessing, I'm not sure if it was due to COVID or if it was just meant to be an online conference, but it was called SheetsCon 2020, and it was hosted by Ben Collins. Um, ben Collins is a longtime Google Sheets user, and I believe he's also a Google certified developer or something like that, or Google developer expert. And basically, it's to show that he is an approved certified um, uh, developer or what do you want to call it using the G Suite. And he put on this conference and it's the, it's an, a conference dedicated solely to Google Sheets and how you can use Google Sheets to basically be more productive. And it took place on March 11th or 12th and it's completely free to watch all the replays. I'm actually in the middle of watching all the videos. So may have more feedback about this in the coming weeks after I watch all the sessions, but very, very relevant um, sessions for anyone that's doing work with spreadsheets, especially Google Sheets. And there's a bunch of big names as well in terms of the speakers. Um, just wanted to look at some of the sessions um, that interested me, no code apps in Google Sheets, obviously a very big topic close to my heart. Um, let me see here, using Google Sheets to master your money. So probably how Google Sheets can help you with budgeting. Another favorite topic of mine, automating autom automation with app script. I've been doing a lot of work with Google app script, apps script recently to sync Google Sheets with uh, Coda where I work. Moving up, moving on up from Google Sheets to BigQuery, that's also a really fun topic because um, once you are working with a lot of a lot of data, 
big data, as they say, you're probably getting out of Google Sheets because of performance issues and moving to BigQuery, which is meant for processing millions and millions of rows of data. How to be a freelance Google Sheets developer, something I know pretty well because I used to be one. Um, yeah, so just really excited to watch all these replays and um, pretty excited to uh, see this coming up, uh, see this every year because it's completely free and um, just really awesome job by Ben Ben Collins for putting for uh, putting this on. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the first thing I want to talk about for um, for this episode is just checking out sheets on sheetscon.com. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably into spreadsheets and this is probably a really good resource for you to check out in order to increase your knowledge and see how other people are using spreadsheets to uh, be more productive. Okay, the second thing I want to talk about was from a an episode I uh, from a podcast I listened to primarily because I was playing around with Craft CMS, which is a uh, a CMS platform for building websites, and I found out that the um, some of the people that are building a lot of craft CMS, craft websites, uh, run a podcast called Dev Mode FM. I'm not sure if I mentioned this podcast before on Dear Analyst, but um, anywho, I, I haven't done as much craft CMS work as, I, as, as I'd like to since I'm still kind of steeped into WordPress these days, um, but I have built some basic, basic websites with craft CMS. And what I love about this podcast is that they dive into not just things about craft, but other things related to um, web websites, web development, um, even interviewing. And this is, this is an episode that was more about kind of like finding a job in web development. Um, it was with a Paul, Paulo Elias, who formerly worked at IDEO. And around minute 19, um, they were talking about what to look, what they would look for in a new web dev uh, a candidate, what, what kind of qualities they would need from a candidate to just kind of like be really productive on the job. And they were talking about how um, if you, you know, there are certain, earlier in the episode, they are talking about how the, there's some basic things you need to know, HTML, CSS, um, JavaScript, all that kind of stuff. But then they're saying that there are times when you want someone that just knows, has deep domain knowledge about a, a subject. So in this case, uh, many different websites are now built with React. And they were talking about how it's great to just want to hire a React developer to work on a React project. And that sometimes is like all you need. Maybe it might be a short-term short -term project. Um, but as, um, as Paulo was... Uh, uh, was talking in the episode. Actually, I don't think I'm not sure if this was Paula who said it, but the uh, the host of the podcast, I, said, I guess I could say, was talking about how long term, if you want someone who can basically adapt to the changing environment in a web development role, just being a, so, a superstar with React and knowing how to build websites React with React is not going to get you far as an employee of the company and might not get you very far in your career. What he was saying is that the most important quality that he looks for with hiring, like a, I guess a web dev person, 
is willingness to learn and change. And I think he also said specifically, not just um, having the ability to learn and change, but also having the willingness to learn and change. And there's a key distinction there because some people have the ability and you, you can push them to learn and change, but the best employees, the best candidates, the best um, uh, web dev uh, employees are ones that ha- want to learn and change as as platforms come and go, as technology changes, as client uh, requirements change. Those are the people that really succeed in this type of role. And those who are focused on, I only program in React or I only work with COBOL, can't go beyond these four walls. Those are the ones that have the hardest time with um, furthering their careers. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, I just love hearing these kind of conversations because it's kind of pointing back to the higher level precept, if you will, that the only constant thing in life is change. And I know this this is getting kind of like a little frou-frou, but um, it's totally true. Like just being able to constantly think and change and adapt to your new environment um, is really key. And that's basically how innovation, novelty, uh, risks can be taken. And this, I think this this concept of having the willingness to change and adapt is brought up in so many other episodes I've listened to in the past, I don't know, year or so. Um, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about the um, the StarCraft II episode where they interviewed uh, Toby Lucky from Shopify, and the whole episode was basically about how, as a StarCraft player, like you have to know how to adapt to new situations, learn quickly, and be able to throw away kind of like your miscon your original concepts about something and just be able to adapt the new environment. And that happens a lot in the game of StarCraft, but that's also the key quality that Toby looks for when they're hiring new employees at Shopify. Um, I think another, I think this was, this concept was also mentioned in the, um, uh, why am I looking now on the syntax FM podcast? Um, yeah, Wes, Wes and Scott were also talking about, um, being able to yes yeah yeah being able to like learn new skills um, really quickly to to stay up to date on all the thing all the new technologies that are coming especially when it comes to building software applications and building websites uh, so the fact that I've heard this multiple times and I would say the original time the original kind of like I guess you could say podcast person author whoever that has talked about this in my mind is, was Tim Ferriss. And I think he was the one that really um, showed me the light back in 2009, I believe, when I first read the four-hour work week. But it's just like being able to adapt and learn a new skill, knowing that what you know today will not may not be applicable, applicable to tomorrow. And um, I think that's like kind of like what makes like learning so fun, at least for me, is that like, I know that um, I'm never going to be a master in all these different subjects, but like just wanting to learn these new subjects is like, um, now I can start to see how everything is kind of connected to each other across, um, you know, software, spreadsheets, politics, the economy, Um, just being able to draw those lines. Um, I just, even right now, I'm just thinking like, as I'm talking about how like this episode um, talked about how to hire a web dev react developer like willingness to learn is the most important thing i'm already drawing 
these lines between other podcasts I listen to, between what I've originally read in the four hour work week. Um, and those are kind of like the, the meta, the meta skill beyond just knowing react or knowing JavaScript is willingness to learn new technologies that are thrown at you from clients, from your colleagues, from, you know, the industry. Uh, so yeah, I think the key takeaway here is just be open to learning and knowing that um, whatever you know today, if you think you're an expert in something, you're, there's always more, always more, always more to learn. Um, even with like Excel, like I'm constantly learning about new things like dynamic array functions, which I had no idea uh, were so powerful. Um, still not sure about their the, its usage in my uh, spreadsheet life, but can see it being very powerful for powerful for other users. Uh, approaching 40 minutes now, so I'm going to wrap up this episode here. Um, stay safe out there, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.